Well, today our text is in the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter. We'll be studying the story of the two disciples that met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. In just a little bit, I'll prompt you when we get into the text. But first, let's pause for a brief prayer. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people joined and said, Amen. When I was growing up, my dad used to listen to Paul Harvey on the radio. And I always liked to listen to Paul Harvey with him. And we'll always remember what he used to say at the end. And that's the rest of the story. In his For What It's Worth department, Paul Harvey shares a neat story about the former LaSalle head basketball coach. His name was Speedy Morris. And one day, Speedy was shaving in the bathroom, and his wife hollered up to him, Speedy, telephone, you have a call. It's Sports Illustrated. Thinking about the recognition, he hurried, cut himself shaving, ran out of the bathroom, shaving cream mixed with blood, tripped on the steps, fell down a few of them, finally got to the telephone. Hello, Coach Morris. How can I help you? And the person on the other end of the line said, for just 75 cents, you can get a one-year subscription <laughs> to Sports Illustrated. <laughs> Some of you know what it's like to be disappointed. Last Christmas, my daughter Isabella and I, who's now 13, she and I like to play the games at amusement parks. And we went to Christmas Town over at Bush Gardens. Got to the games. And there was one game that had the large prize. You know, they always want to work you up to the large prize. And the large prize was a big minion. And those are the yellow creatures that are on the Despicable Me movie series, if you're interested in knowing that. But this game, you didn't have to work your way up. It was just a big minion. That was the prize. So for $5, you could get four baseballs. And the object of the game was to throw the baseball and knock over the stuffed cats on the back wall. I apologize, cat lovers, but that's the game. And if you knocked over three cats, you would win the big minion. $20 later, <laughs> we had no big minion. Eventually, we did get one on clearance at Lowe's. <laughs> Some of you know what it's like to be disappointed. And if you're into social media, many of our students are, and a lot of adults, you have it on your phone, whether it's Snapchat or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and there's this continual desire to see how many likes you have. And if you don't use social media, you post something out there for everybody to see, and then other people can go on and look at it and click like if they like it. And we want to see how many likes we get. Often we're obsessed with how many likes we get, and if we don't have enough of them, we'll take that one off and put on a new one to see if we can get more. And we look, and often we are very disappointed because we don't get enough likes. And often we define ourselves by what other people might even think about us 
and we are often disappointed. Some of you know exactly what it's like to be disappointed. Or often there's a married couple and they start out and they have a one-bedroom apartment and they don't even have a sofa or anything and then they graduate and they get a two-bedroom and then finally they get that first small house, three bedrooms, one bath and then things go well and there's a raise and they get a larger house and they have a lot of things and then years later the kids are gone and they're sitting there at the table in the kitchen and they look across at one another and they don't even know each other. And they say, what happened? We spent all of those years getting where we are and we don't even know each other anymore. And all of those things and the career and the cars and the house and the trips don't really even seem to matter. You know what disappointment is like. Sometimes we look for hope in the wrong places. Sometimes we look for love in the wrong places, as the song says. And those two disciples who are leaving Jerusalem, sadly disappointed, were looking perhaps for hope in the wrong place. They were leaving. They were going away. Their Lord had died. What's the worth? I want to focus on two main ideas today as we explore faith this Easter season. The one is, first one is, sometimes we look for God in the wrong places and we are disappointed. Sometimes we look for God in the programs of a church. We come to a church and we get involved and we sign up for something or we get on a committee or a team or we get involved in a class or a small group or we're involved in this or that mission and we get enthralled about that and get excited and then over a period of time it either changes or we change and we don't feel that feeling anymore and we're sadly disappointed. And I want to say to you today that if you are in a church and you're trying to seek God in the stuff of the church, in the things of a church, in the programs of a church, we may miss God. Now, is God involved in a Sunday school class? Yes. Is God involved in a mission? Yes. Is God involved in what the committee or team is doing? Yes. Is God involved in the programs that we have, the choirs and the youth and the children and the senior adults and all of these things? Absolutely. But the point I'm trying to make is that is not where we place our trust. Our trust comes from a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And we serve and get involved in programs to carry out that mission. We want to make sure that we don't place our hope in the wrong thing in the church. We also don't find God in the pastors of a church. And often you might come into a church, you've been in a church before, and you're enthralled by the, the preaching or this particular teacher or a staff member or some dynamic thing is going on, and that pastor, that clergy person is involved in that leadership, and, and then that person leaves, and your hopes are dashed. And you feel like, oh, now we're not going to be able to continue on. And how are we going to make it through? And those things can happen if people of God place their hope in a person rather than the person. Sure, is God involved in the clergy? And is God alive in what is happening through the ministers of the church? Absolutely. But we must not place our hope in the person of a pastor or a teacher or a clergy. Our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. In today's gospel lesson from Luke, we'll see that 
two of Jesus' disciples were walking down a road, their faces downcast, they were sad. More than that, they were disappointed, and perhaps they had come with high expectations only to leave with a feeling of failure and disappointment. These two disciples, one of them, his name is Cleopas, the other one's not named, and they were leaving Jerusalem. It's the Sunday of the resurrection day, the first Easter. That morning, Mary and the others, you recall, had gone to the tomb. Mary had seen Jesus at the tomb, and you remember that story as we taught that in the last two weeks as we have celebrated Easter. And then these two disciples on that same day, late in the day, they're making about a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus. Emmaus is a little small village. Scholars disagree perhaps exactly where it's located, but most will say it's between a, a 10K and seven miles or so from the city of Jerusalem. And their faces are downcast, and they are leaving because things didn't turn out the way that they had hoped. If we pick up at verse 13 in Luke chapter 24, you'll hear as he records this story. Now that same day, that's meaning Easter, the first Easter day, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, meaning all that had happened that week, the death of Jesus Christ in particular. And they talked and discussed those things with each other. As they did that, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Much like Mary thought that he was the gardener at first until a little later when he spoke her voice, Mary, and she responded, Rabboni, teacher. And then Jesus, in verse 17, he asked them, why are you discussing together? What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Almost like, where have you been living? He thought everybody had heard this. What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in the word, indeed before God and all of the people. And then they began to tell Jesus about Jesus. Have you ever thought about that in this text? Could you imagine if you were doing something, you're at the grocery store. Or if you were on a walk in your neighborhood, or you were at work, and then Jesus shows up, and Jesus, you didn't recognize it was Jesus, but Jesus shows up, and you told Jesus about Jesus. Whoa. How would you feel after if he said, oh, by the way, it was me? If he, could you imagine? Well, that's what they were experiencing. And then they began to tell Jesus about Jesus. And these words aren't on the screen, but just listen to what they said. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, there's the disappointment, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Well, we, we were wrong. 
And what is more, it's the third day since the whole thing took place. Well, you remember what happened to Lazarus, right? He, was, he died, and the Jew, Jewish people believed that after the third day, there was no hope. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. But then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, and they did not see Jesus. They were very disappointed. Perhaps they had missed what Jesus had said all along as he was teaching them before he died. So Jesus is walking with them. He he appears to them. He listens to their story. And then in verse 26, he, he offers a soft rebuke to them. He says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then Jesus began to teach them everything about what the Old Testament scriptures and prophets had said from Moses all the way through the prophets. Jesus teaching them. They still didn't know it was Jesus. And in verse 27, you see what what happens. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He laid it out. He revealed to them the truth. And in the Greek New Testament, the word that we translate explained to them is where we get the word hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the study of interpretation. It's a a class that's offered to the seminary, and when we talk about hermeneutics, we deal with telling stories and helping people to understand Scripture so that they can apply it in their lives today, that it's understandable, that they can grasp it. That's what Jesus did. Well, then they continue along, and Jesus, it's sort of the end of the day, and Jesus says, well, I need to go on, guys. It's been nice chatting with you. And then they said, oh, hey, wait, it's late in the day. Why don't you come to our house? Oh, I'd be happy to. So Jesus comes to their home, and then Jesus sits with them at table. And then look what happened. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to, in, to give it to them. Verse 31 says, then their eyes were opened. They knew it was him. Do you see the connection here? He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke the bread, and he served them. The guest was the host. It was quite unusual. The guest would never be the host in a home when he was invited or she was invited. But Jesus, at the table, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke the bread, and then gave it to them, distributed it to them. Does that remind you of something that we do on the first Sunday here in this church where Jesus met with his disciples the night before he died on the cross and he took bread, he gave thanks, blessed it, broke the bread, and distributed it to his disciples. Jesus is recognized at the table. There is something sacramental that happens there at the table, and the disciples, those two disciples, recognize that it is Jesus in the midst of the Eucharistic meal. And then he disappears. And then they got up and they left, and they went back to Jerusalem to share their story. 
I invite you to read this again for yourself as you go through the week. It's a marvelous story about how often we look for God in the wrong places and God meets us right where we are. This leads us up to our second idea, and that is the gospel story gives us a clue to where we find Christ. In this story, you see Christ revealed in the Word. Jesus went back and explained the Word of God to them that they would understand it. From Moses all the way to the prophets, we experience the Word, God in the Word. And often, you and I, I, myself included, can get out of the habit of reading our Bible and studying our Bible and being in the Word of God. And if that's you, if you've slipped away, if you've gravitated towards something else as a habit and gotten away from reading the Bible, I, I encourage you today, challenge you today during this Easter season to pick up your Bible and get back into the Word of God. Even if it's one verse a day, maybe that will gradually increase to a few minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. Spend time in the Word. I assure you that you meet God there. God will meet you there. And then we also see Jesus meeting the disciples at table. Jesus was recognized at the sacrament of the table, the breaking of the bread. Something supernatural happens when Christians gather together around the table. And I can't explain it to you or rationalize it. I just know it. Sometimes when we're worshiping together on the first Sunday, God just speaks into my heart in ways I can't understand, and maybe you've experienced that too. But God shows up when people gather around the table. And I submit that that can even happen in our tables at home or when we are out, that God will show up when we break bread together. And then we also see Jesus meeting these disciples as they are talking, as they are conversing, as they are discussing. In conversations, we find Christ, conversations that he transforms. When Jesus shows up in our midst and we have a serendipitous realization that God is right in the middle of what is happening between two people, three people or more, this is where I sense that I'm on holy ground when that happens. Have you ever been somewhere, maybe it's a restaurant, uh, maybe it's in a prayer meeting or Bible study, or maybe it's at, at home, I, or maybe it's even at work. And you're talking to somebody, and then all of a sudden you're like, God just showed up. And you're like, wow. And you can't really explain it other than you just know it. Right? God does something. God connects the dots. Sometimes if you meet a person who's visiting our church, and you find out you have a connection, and then somehow you, you used to work in the same company or something like that, and you see how God is just connected you and you can't really describe it but you know what happens there's something sacramental that happens in those spiritual conversations so we need to be open to God to speak to us through his word we need to be open to what God is going to do when we gather around the table and we must be open to what God does in our everyday conversations that the secular can become indeed sacred I'll never forget a moment when this happened earlier in my ministry, and I've, all, I've, I've always uh, cherished it. It was a couple that, it was an older couple that joined the church where I used to serve. His name was Buddy, and her name was Mary. 
And not long after they, they joined, Buddy's 98-year-old mom died. And she didn't have a, a church family. that She lived with them. And so he asked me if I would lead the service. And I, I said I would be honored to do that. So I went over to their house to meet with them to plan the service. And by the way, I, m- I meant to tell you that Mary, his, his wife, had dementia. When I would see her at church, sometimes she didn't make much sense when she would speak to me at the door. And I don't know that I gave her the time I should have. So anyway, I'm over at their house to sit down and plan the service. And as I came in the door, Mary grabbed me by the arm. I want you to meet our Frank. I want you to meet our Frank. I didn't know who Frank was. I honestly didn't. I want you to meet our Frank. And in my mind, I'm here to plan this funeral, right? I'm trying to get my work done. I'm younger, and I didn't know any better, maybe. I want you to meet our Frank. I said, okay. So she pulls me by the arm back to this back room in the house, rambling rancher. And finally, we go in there, and then she turns, and she looks at the wall, and there is a framed portrait of a young man in an army uniform. She says, I want you to meet our Frank. He died in Korea. For her, it was as fresh as it was then when it happened. I realized then that I was on holy ground and that God was speaking to me to, through this woman that had dementia and that I needed to learn a lesson to pay attention to how God showed up in conversations. And that even in the midst of an everyday occurrence, the plain and ordinary can become indeed sacred. It can indeed become holy ground. And I believe that's what happened that day when Jesus met those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Their ordinary walk and their ordinary table meal became sacred. Holy ground. It was a road trip, perhaps. A scripture passage that comes alive just at the right time. When we are at the table and in our normal conversations, God shows up. Maybe this is how God meets us on the road. We meet God, wherever and whenever God meets us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for what appears to be just a plain old ordinary story between two sad and disappointed followers of Jesus Christ who left Jerusalem thinking that was it. There's really not a whole lot else. We need to go back to our ordinary ways. And God, you showed up, and you revealed yourself to them, and this became one of the resurrection eyewitness accounts in Scripture, among a number of others, that helps us to have the hope that Jesus didn't just die on a cross and remain in the grave, but that he rose and lives today. Help us to take hold of this hope as we go through our week as your people. 
And God, maybe there are some who are sitting here this morning who came here sad and disappointed with faces downtrodden for whatever reason, for whatever has happened. And perhaps as they leave, they will be able to look up to have a glimpse of the hope that is found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ this Easter season. We pray this in your name.